and Soul Podcast. I'm grateful you are tuning in today. I'm Shauna Hall, a self-love and mindset coach, teaching you how to align your life through mindset shifts, spirituality, and manifestation. Each week, I'll be giving you tips designed to help you create a passionate, purposeful, high-vibe reality that you love. If you're ready to align your glow, you're in the right place. Let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is so great. I bring on Selena Barnett, who is a certified postpartum doula, certified lactation counselor or CLC, and an infant sleep consultant. We can add on a bunch of other certifications as she does speak upon, but basically she is going to be your go-to for all things postpartum. She's also working on her bachelor's in early education and is a newborn care specialist. Basically, babies and postpartum, she's your gal. And her passion is providing parents with the tools and information they need to support them during the fourth trimester and being able to increase their confidence as new parents. She prides herself on her adaptability to support the needs of a new or changing family. We talk about so many great topics, but the reason why you're going to see shortly is that I did two parts with this episode because it's just so much information. And so I wanted to be able to provide you with a shorter episode on one specific subject and then bring her back for a second. So this first episode will be part one, which we're talking about all things sleep. And then part two, we're going to talk about all things lactation and nutrition. This episode is for you if you are wanting to have children, have a child already, or are currently pregnant or are in the postpartum journey. I hope that you enjoy and learn something new. Welcome back to the Align Your Glow and Soul podcast. I am so excited to bring on Selena to the podcast today. We are going to be talking all things nutrition, pre, during, post, on your pregnancy journey, lactation, and sleep. So welcome, Selena. Thank you so much for having me today. Ooh, I'm so excited. Before we get into all those juicy topics, I always love to ask this as my first question. How do you align your glow and soul? Recently, it has been playing Play-Doh with my two-year-old. I have been trying to touch base with my inner child through play. Not the easiest thing in the world, surprisingly enough, given that I work with children. But I have just been loving sitting down, doing Play-Doh and coloring with markers and just slowing down, being creative, appreciating the little things. I'm always going so fast. I love that. And that's such a nice reminder to slow down, embrace that inner child. And I talk about that all the time, too, with my clients, because I who doesn't want to play with Play-Doh? First of all, that is like my favorite thing to do in the world. And we, you know, we don't do that ever as adults. No, honestly, we should, though. It was very therapeutic to just sit there and cut out little flower petals out of pink Play-Doh. I that was nice. <laughs> I'm only allowing her one color of Play-Doh. Otherwise, mom might, you know, stress out about her mixing colors. I know my limits in my parenting journey. <laughs> so we're using one color right now. We may have three tubs of Play-Doh open at a time, but they're all going to be pink. I love that too, because I'm the same way. I'm like, nope, they're going to stay separated. <laughs> I have learned that the key is to find and respect my own boundaries and parenting. I may think they are here and they may be lower than I thought. Got to give yourself grace. Exactly. It's all part of the journey. <laughs> yes. 
All right. Well, tell us a little bit about kind of your journey and how you have, you know, gotten to this point where you are, a little bit of background about your own, you know, parent pregnancy journey. Yeah. So a little bit of background around me professionally. I started my childhood education type career of like getting my or pursuing my bachelor's in elementary education, which I then shifted to early childhood education. I did my fellowship in the Denver public school system for three years, working with primarily elementary school students before I started substitute teaching, given that my class schedule was very demanding at the time. I found that as much as I loved being in a classroom, I always felt hopeless about the things that were happening at home that I was hearing about or seeing the after effects of. So I shifted to the private sector where I started nannying. I I grew up in a household where the only nanny I ever saw was Mary Poppins. So they were this fantasy concept. I never thought it was a real career. Lo and behold, it is. The Denver metro area has a thriving nanny community that I'm very proud to be a part of. I was a nanny for approximately a year and a half before I realized that toddlers were not necessarily for me either. They bring their own special qualities to the relationship. But it just wasn't what my heart was looking for in a career that I was going to do for decades. Then I discovered a new, what a newborn care specialist was. And I took my first training in the spring of 2018. And I have been working with newborn babies ever since then. So the newborn period would be zero to 16 weeks, so zero to four months of age. My journey in that has led me to work with twins, singletons, medically fragile infants, surrogate parents. I have traveled outside of the country. I traveled within the country. I've lived with families, done short-term positions, six-month gigs. Um, I, I love all of it. I love helping integrate older siblings with their, their new family members, watching these families. I don't know what the, you know, kind of just glow. They have this glow about them. When you watch them sitting on the couch, you know, with this, this new family, you could almost see the energy they have, but like the love just radiates. And that's intoxicating for me. I myself became a parent in December of 2020. I have a pandemic baby. Uh, so I was glad to have some training before going into it. I spent my pregnancy getting certified in infant and pediatric sleep. I took courses in pregnancy and infant loss. So I'm also do, I also offer bereavement services on occasion. That's not something I advertise all over the place since it, it is a more sensitive area of work and my heart needs to be in the right state to take that on, to be there for a family in that setting. Once my daughter was born, I had so many questions about breastfeeding that I decided to pursue certification as a lactation counselor as well. Um, really, the more curious I get about things, I get certified. I have certifications in perinatal and postpartum nutrition, lactation, infant and pediatric sleep. I'm also certified in adult sleep, but I don't exactly coach adults since I love the baby so much. Sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I think really, really, I have a whole page of certifications, including Montessori, the Rye curriculum. Um, I'm not certified in Waldorf, but I have experience with it. I wish the certification process wasn't five years because it sounds fascinating to me. My my educational background tying into all the different ways you can support 
new families. Um, upcoming in the new year, I'm looking to pursue certifications in maternal and infant mental health, as that was a very big piece for me in my own postpartum journey was learning that postpartum mood and anxiety disorders are not what you think they are. And once you experience it, your perspective is different. And even if you don't experience it, for those around you who you love and want to support during this transitional period, you should educate yourself. That's what I'm doing. And, you know, I recommend all my friends to do it, honestly. I, instead of calling me, pick up a book. Go on Instagram. There are a lot of really good Instagram accounts. One of the ones that helped me, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to give Instagram names on yeah, your Yeah, let's do it. I'll post on your show. But um, sure. yeah, it was, it was, oh, there was Psyched Mommy. I oh, I love Canada. that account. Beautiful account. Yes. I, I took some of their workshops when I was postpartum. I had postpartum rage. And despite my years of working with, you know, postpartum moms and babies, I had not encountered postpartum rage. I learned about postpartum psychosis, depression, and anxiety, but no one taught me about postpartum rage. So then when I had it, I just freaked out and I thought that I was broken and everything was so wrong. And, you know, educating myself helped me feel empowered to do what I needed to do to show up as my best self in society and the best mom I could be every day. Oh my gosh. What a journey. I love that. And I think you really nailed it. Is that fourth trimester is a real thing. (laughs) It is a, and it's, you know, sometimes a fifth trimester or a sixth trimester. Everybody's experience is journey. Everybody's experience is different, but I love that you talk about mental health because, you know, I work in mental health with kiddos, not, um, in regards to, childhood trauma. Well, actually, yes, because it indirectly affects their current disorder. I work in eating disorders and mood disorders. So um, I love that you are going on that journey of getting more educated because I totally agree. We all can do a better job of really understanding mental health, especially when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum care, when it comes to our inner circle or, or even outer circle, just engaging with others and knowing what to say, what's appropriate and what's not. Yes, that and that was a big piece for me, too, as I shifted focus a little bit. So recently, I got trained through Kappa as a postpartum doula. As a newborn care specialist, I primarily worked overnights. So I would show up you know, roughly 9 o'clock at night. Everyone's winding down for bed to provide overnight support for new parents so they can try to catch up on as much sleep as possible, or I support their breastfeeding journey. Really, whatever their goals are, we try to achieve that during my time with them with sleep typically being top of the list for an overnight booking. Everybody loves sleep. Once the kid's here, you're going to love it even more. <laughs> um, but for, so we're doing that. I found that parents would maybe engage with me for 30 minutes, quick updates about the day, ask a couple of questions, and then they go to bed. Well, uh, I spent the last 18 months doing live-in 24-7 positions with families where I was spending daytimes with them and they were coming up and asking me to model for them how to do things, asking me more elaborate questions than I was used to. Um, Best way to put it, I I just wasn't used to that many people talking to me, wanting to know things. I was used to getting a text message, you know, when I woke up from my daytime nap, you know, to explain something I left in my notes. And once I realized that postpartum doulas 
focused a little bit more on the mom in that postpartum aspect. I knew that I wanted to incorporate that into my practice too, because mom and babies are a dyad. Once the baby's born, they're not two or, you know, even three, four separate beings. Sometimes there's multiples, as I mentioned. And it was very important to me to be able to treat them as such, not just provide care for the baby and then the mom, but be able to do both simultaneously because they affect each other. Babies co-regulate off mom. And honestly, I think we do it right back to them, whether we realize it or not. You can't resist it when you're having a nice skin to skin resting period on the couch. Important to keep everybody nice and relaxed. Mm, I love that. And I think you, this transitioned very well into my next question. So one of the things you specialize in is supporting moms and babies during sleep. So I was doing a bunch of research on, you know, because everybody thinks babies don't sleep. They just, that's, I think, a, a myth per se. But really, you know, there's other factors to include in that. So how, one of the things I read was to get your baby on a routine. And that can help with creating some consistent sleep patterns. What are your your thoughts and you know expertise on that? I love to, I prefer routine over schedule. Scheduling mm. implies rigidity, you know, so eight o'clock we eat, nine o'clock we go to bed and every child is different. Every sleep need is going to be different. Sometimes you're traveling and you can't hit those time markers, but the routine usually works a little bit better from my experience because children pick up on the the cues of what's happening. So for example, let's say we're talking bedtime routine and a family's asking me to come in and help them create that. My typical recommendation would, you know, given the age of the child, we'll we'll pick maybe like six weeks. Um, That's the age of the kiddo I'm with right now. And my recommendation would be, let's start with maybe a bath. Some babies respond to books at this age, some don't. I like to introduce one so that way they're at least familiar with the concept of books as they get bigger. I myself have a big love for literature though, so that's that's just my personal preference. Some families will, after bath time, do infant massage or quiet bonding, like a family snuggle sesh in bed. I recommend we keep all the TVs off, the lights low. As fun as it is to watch YouTube videos while you're laying there with your baby, let's not do that. The blue light is what stimulates your brain and wakes you up more. Even though they're very small, their brain is still processing light waves similarly enough to ours. Yeah, I read about that as well. And there's a study that shows, um, and they even said, you know, they need to duplicate it and do another one. But pretty recent said that for every additional and I was confused what does additional mean with the study but if you are interested you can look it up but every additional hour an infant gets um or an infant has on like a touchscreen device it actually decreases their sleep by almost 30 minutes which I thought was wild because we're so attached to all screens right now I can't speak for the the numbers aspect of it but I can say that I've observed that behavior Uh, So I have worked with children who are in, you know, homes that allow screen time and Mm -hmm. homes that don't do screen time. So your Waldorf Montessori households that don't do screen time at all, which would be my household. My daughter doesn't doesn't get any screen time, although the older she gets, the harder that's becoming. I can honestly admit that my parenting preferences are are evolving as as the situation changes. But 
I have found with children that watch television in the two hours before bed, they just tend to be more overstimulated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Television moves very quickly for a child's brain. I I try to just imagine it's like a a, a pinball machine in your head. So they're seeing and every, every two to three seconds, it's a brand new image. So before they can process what they're seeing, you have something else. So their brain is just sped up. It's ready to take in information quicker than it can process it. Um, the way I think about it too would be, let's say you went to the movie theater and you saw a scary movie. You're you're hyped up. Your body's having a reaction to what you saw. Do you think you would be able to go home and lay down and fall asleep within an hour? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. It would take you a little while to, to decompress. Um, I find with infants, that's usually not a concern. With toddlers, I'll get, I get the occasional call of, you know, my, my child suddenly isn't sleeping. And one of the first questions I ask is, has there been an increase of screen time? Are they in school now when they weren't before? Because schools utilize Chromebooks, touchpads, all mm-hmm. kinds of things, really, depending on what your school structure is. So children are exposed to technology. It happens. You know, you want to FaceTime grandma. Suddenly you're on the phone without realizing it. I've, I've done that myself. I'm like, let's FaceTime. And I'm like, oh, no. We're too close to bedtime. We have to hang up now. Um, that ties into the routine aspect of, so let's say you're a household that, that has older children that utilize screens. You can't always, you know, keep the baby away from screens. You can just try to minimize the exposure. So let's say we're aiming for an eight o'clock bedtime. Starting at seven o'clock, so maybe just start turning the TV volume down. Make sure the child's facing away from the blue light. Just try to de-escalate. If you can't turn off the TV, try to keep them faced away as much as possible. In a perfect world, the TV would be off. Everything would be quiet. But I understand that that is not always the case. You know, sometimes you're tired. It's been a rough day. You need that for you. Maybe it's your husband's favorite soccer game is playing. I know the World Cup was just happening. So a lot of people were big about that. You know, I once had a dad where... I walked in, mom goes, the babies just won't sleep. And the dad's holding both of them in front of the TV, yelling at the football. Oh I'm my like, gosh. I think, I think that might be why, you know, he, he, thought he was helping. He was holding the babies to get them ready for bed in front of the loud TV screen where he's amped up. So they're regulating off of his body and he's amped up watching his team get their butts kicked. And... <laughs> The babies are feeling that. So then they're getting amped up. This was a, a set of twins at the time. And it was, you know, as soon as as soon as we turned off the TV and went in a quiet space, within 45 minutes, everybody stopped crying, mom included. And we were able to de-escalate for bed. I always just recommend, you know, as a whole, no TV time for that overstimulation aspect. That's when you get parents who go, my baby just cries. They just cry. They won't sleep. And I don't understand. Once the child is overstimulated, it can be very hard sometimes to re-regulate and bring them back down. They don't have have that at all at that age. And what are some um, best practices that you've seen be successful when it comes to routines? Other than that, what you just said earlier, which was the decrease or, you know, completely turn off TV and screens two hours before. I would say consistency would probably be my top recommendation. So, because regardless of environment, if you have consistency to the routine, 
the child's body will should should respond similarly. Obviously, I'm not factoring in jet lag or anything crazy like that. Let's say, for example, you you decide to go up into the mountains to snowboard. You know, this is Colorado. Happens all the time. If the routine is similar and you have a proper sleep environment for your child, you know, and they've had their emotional needs met, like they know you're going to be there, they can smell you, um, some sort of comfort like that. You do the routine, they'll usually settle and sleep just fine. I find that the biggest challenges are when there's an inconsistent routine and a new environment because then everything's new and the child doesn't know how to react. So they just freak out, which is fair. I, I mean, I'm an adult. I do the exact same thing. If I don't know what's happening and I'm somewhere new, I'm also going to get a little nervous and I might snap at somebody, you know? Um, so it's, I've, I've really, that's, that's my big one. I've, I've seen a lot of different scenarios. I find the consistency and it's not necessarily even consistency in caregiver. For example, my, my partner and I will switch who puts our child to bed. She responds to the routine though. If she wants someone else, she'll ask. However, she does not always, you know, lose her mind if she can't have them because she knows the routine. She knows she'll get hugs, her books. She'll go to bed with her lovey and we will get her in the morning kind of thing. We say, goodbye, we love you. And she'll say, I love you. And as we were walking out the door and then she lays down. Oh, I love um, And it's, it's the same thing when we travel. So in October, we went to Mexico for a family vacation. So brand new sleep environment for her. I myself love the slumber pod. You don't know what that is. It's like a blackout tent to put over a baby crib. It is my favorite thing ever for traveling with babies. I love it so much. I wish they made one for me. <laughs> because blackout curtains in hotels are not as good as they advertise them to be. No, they're and not. I'm very sensitive to light. But we just recreated her routine in the hotel room. And she slept every night in Mexico. We never had any problems. Um, my approach to sleep with children is based on a blend of my sleep training and my Rye approach, which is um, re uh, resources for infant educators that focuses on respectful, responsive care. Mm. So I personally do not do any form of cry it out with my own child or with my client's children. Um, if they want someone to do that, I usually outsource them and say, hey, I know a couple of people. I personally just can't, I can't do it. I can't sit there and listen to a child cry and you know, express that they're frustrated being in this room by themselves or even having me in there. It just doesn't feel right to me. And that's something in my parenting journey that led me to, to study all kinds of different like alternative parenting styles and research things, you know, and in other countries that work there that, you know, would never work here in America because we have cancel culture and everyone has an opinion, whether they've researched or not, everyone has an opinion. Um, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Rye approach, which I've never heard of. Oh, yes. I think Thank so you. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's R-I-E. Um, my trainer came from California. I believe their foundation is from California. And I take that and apply that to sleep. So I do a lot of pick up, put down in the night. Um, which, you know, meaning it's exactly what it sounds like. I pick up your baby until they calm back down. They're not spazzing out, panicking. Have you ever heard your baby do that? Like, 
where they're hyperventilating because they're just crying so hard. I never let a baby get to that point because I just, oh, I can't. It makes every part of my body rejects it. You know, it just feels so wrong. So all of my methods are, are responsive care. I stay right there. When I'm in your house with your baby, they're usually in a room with me and I have their crib either right next to my bed or I'm sitting on the floor right there. So I can have a hand in the crib, you know, touch a hand, let them know they're not alone, pat their bottom or their, or their feet, depending on how they're positioned. Some children make it onto their stomach at an earlier age than others. So it really just depends. Yeah. And just a minimal crying all in all sleep should be a positive experience. The goal is to create positive associations with sleep. Oh, as a whole. I sleep should be comforting that. and restorative and you should look forward to going to bed. It shouldn't be, Oh my gosh, mom or dad's taking me into my room. And that means they're going to leave me in here and I'm going to cry because then they start to automatically panic. So I have a lot of families that will put a bassinet in their room for the first maybe three months of the baby's life because they fit in the bassinet. They're not rolling. They don't need the crib yet. So why put them in the nursery? So I often get the question of how can I get my child acclimated to the nursery if they've slept in the room with us this whole time? Mm -hmm. First tip would be do daytime naps. It's so much harder at night to keep yourself emotionally regulated and to get up out of bed, you know, who knows how far the nursery is. Unfortunately, in every house, it's not right next door. Sometimes it's on the bottom floor and you're on floor three and it's the most inconvenient thing possible. Um, but I find doing daytime naps. So try to do at least one daytime nap in the nursery. So they start getting, and then we increase it. So mm. one daytime nap for a week. And then maybe week two, we try to do two of the naps. And again, all of this, depends on on age if there were any birth complications you know maternal mental health bonding preferences there is no one size fits all answer in my approach at least Which I like I to take in as much information that. as possible to to build like the custom plan for your family because I you know they online gives you you know here's a schedule for your three-month-old mm -hmm. how does that person know your three-month-old exactly you know and uh, as a person who's worked with dozens of children, I, I have not had any baby that they are the same. I've had twins that are not the same. <laughs> and it's like you were born two minutes apart. You're not this. You are very different. Prime example, you know, um, and I do a client permission to share this. You know, most most of my clients are under NDA. So everything's private. But this one I do have permission to share. And, you know, but one baby would, you know, eat, burp, go to sleep. No problem. Whereas his twin what we called it her oh, she would Oprah me she would just sit there at two in the morning and like baby babble at me after she ate for 20 minutes just that 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 just little little talk she tried to look at me and I was like look honey I wish I could play with you but we have to sleep you know just very different personalities so the online tools they're they're not bad they just might not work for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, it says you put your baby down here and then they'll sleep for an hour. What happens if your baby wakes up 30 minutes in and you can't get them back down? Suddenly the rest of the schedule doesn't make sense, which is why I like routines better. I typically recommend the eat, play, sleep. So once you wake up, you know, if you're, if you're nursing, we'll do a nursing session. Then we'll do, you know, tummy time, floor time, read a book, make silly faces, whatever's developmentally appropriate for that child. Mm -hmm. 
once they show sleep cues, we go to bed. What's the as long as the child has? Oh, sorry. What's the earliest you would recommend somebody start a routine? Or I guess like at what age is it appropriate? You could honestly start at the day your baby comes home from the hospital if you're feeling up to it. Mm. Uh, So typically I have families started around six weeks. You know, they let everyone come see the baby. They recover. You know, they just honestly, it all blurs the first couple of weeks. (laughs) You know, so the first few weeks go by really quickly. And all of a sudden you have a three week old and you're like, okay, we need to start getting things actually set up for you now. You know, because someone's going back to work or, you know, uh, the breastfeeding supply may be regulated and mom wants to sleep more at night. Uh, With my daughter, I I started it a week after I got home. I had a C-section. So for the first week, I was just focused on resting and I didn't do anything else. After that, I implemented just kind of the the standard was going to be so eight o'clock. It was lights out in the house. Um, Her dad had to leave at 5 a.m. every day. So he was totally happy with an 8 a.m. lights out. We now have smart lights in our house. So we just tell our, I'm not going to say it because we'll do it right now. I just tell my, you know, smart device to turn all the lights red. So every light in my house will turn red. So I could still walk around the house and do things, but it would be calming my brain. Red light has a soothing effect on the brain. So even if I needed to be nursing her, I could still see what I was doing, but we'd be in that, in that bedtime zone. So she would eat and then she would go into her bassinet by the bed. So between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m., the only light that ever came on was the red light. I don't use a white light to go to the bathroom, to go in the kitchen for dishes. I recommend using salt lamps, uh, put a red light bulb in, or they make these great little headlamps that are like 15 bucks on Amazon. They look really geeky. You look like a little miner with this headlamp on your forehead. (laughs) But it is amazing for just walking around your house at night and not waking anyone up. I love red light, especially when I'm working overnight because I can walk into a parent's room to wake up the breastfeeding parent without waking up the other parent by shining a light in their face. Oh, very smart. Most people can sleep through red light going over their eyelids because it doesn't, it doesn't trigger their, their brain quite as badly. Mm, Um, So my my recommendation would be whenever you feel able, but no later than six weeks, you know, as long as you're home environment and schedule allows your child's circadian rhythm won't really finish its development until between 12 and 16 weeks. There's, there's a range there for some children. It kicks in really quick and all of a sudden they're 12 weeks and they sleep through the night. Others it's a little bit later, a little closer to that, that four month mark. I find with breastfed babies, it's a combination of the circadian rhythm being developed and then the baby having eaten enough while having their emotional needs met. Um, I don't have you know, data on this yet, something I've been meaning to research, but I find that breastfed babies tend to wake up at least one time through the night, mm-hmm. a little bit later than bottle fed babies. Um, my thoughts on the reason for that is that the consistency of breast milk changes every time. Mm-hmm. So it's a little harder to know like the nutritional content of everything they're eating. Whereas with a bottle, it's you know the same scoop. Every scoop is the same. You know exactly the ounces they're getting. So you can just count the ounces. If baby hit X number, they should sleep. With breastfed babies, it's a little bit more of hormone regulation. If they're sick, they may need to nurse more. Maybe it was shot time and they need comfort. 
the thing about breastfeeding. It's not just food. It's that, oh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm thirsty or I just really need, need mom right now. Um, so I, I always tell parents that from the get-go, if breastfeeding is a long-term goal of, you know, if you want to breastfeed, we may still have wake-ups. We can space them out so the baby goes five to six hours between feeds so you can nurse and then go to bed. But I just want you to know that that's a realistic possibility in this scenario. I like to set realistic expectations because everybody hears from their friends. They see on TikTok what their baby should be doing. And I can tell you for a fact that there are people on social media platforms as influencers who utilize doulas and newborn care specialists and then don't say that they do and try to say that they've done it all themselves. And don't tell the truth. Baby's sleeping great, (laughs) you know, and yeah, you know, it happens. It's unfortunate, which is why in the community, we love when people, you know, acknowledge their nannies and their care providers, you know, because let's be real about the parenting experience. The more we perpetuate this falsehood of, well, I did it all by myself and it wasn't that bad. So you should have it under control. It isn't, it isn't going to help anybody. It just mm-hmm. leaves parents feeling more hopeless and invalidated in their rough experience. You know, if it's not glamorous and perfect, like everyone else's looks like, they wonder if they're doing it right or, mm-hmm. you know, like what's going wrong. And it's, it's not that everyone's experience is different because we're all different. So our children will be even more different than we are. Oh my gosh. You know, yes. um, I, I even remember thinking my child would be like me, you know, because hello, she's, my child and I'm a girl, she's a girl. So my brain just, mm-mm. she's already so much more feminine than I am. I am terrified. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love all the things we just went over. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Selena. That is all for part one. I hope you were able to take away some tangible tips on how you can sleep better with your newborn, or even if you're in that longer postpartum phase of six, 12, 18 months, hopefully some of the, some of the tips that we talked about today can help you and stay tuned for part two, which will be all about lactation and nutrition. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'd love to connect with you. Screenshot this episode and tag me on Instagram to be entered in to win a $50 Amazon gift card. Please subscribe to be notified of all new episodes and don't forget to glow like you're meant to. Have a fabulous week.